Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Down the blind, Andrew Gunn. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won the grand final. It's got the ball. Jared Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today, I'm lucky enough to share with you part one of an interview with a bloke that I was lucky enough to catch up with a few weeks ago, Lee Addison. Now, Lee Addison is probably not a name that you've heard of. If you've been through the junior rugby league system, you probably have met Lee along the line somewhere. And he's regarded as, you know, one of the best junior rugby league coaches in Australia. And, you know, it's not only junior rugby league. He has gone through the uh, Manly Seagull system, the Penrith Panthers system. And in part one here, he talks about his story coming through. Uh, He mentions, obviously, coaching at St. Greg's High School, where he he coached a young James Tedesco, sort of gave him his first opportunity in their first 13 side, uh, all the way up to his time at the Manly Seagull. Eagles. Now, he was lucky enough to walk into this Seagulls system in 2008. Obviously, the centenary of Rugby League, but also the year that the Manly Seagulls won the Premiership. So, a pretty special time to be there. And he's got a lot of stories from that season. A lot of stories about Des Hasler to share. And then... Tomorrow morning, we're going to have part two. So part two ventures into his time uh, spent at the Penrith Panthers. He moved to the Panthers uh, from Manly and a really interesting time there. He was there 2010, 2011, I believe. So a lot of time with Petro Seven Receiver, Matty Elliott. Uh, really, a couple of really interesting stories about Phil Gould to come out of part two. And of course, during part two, we, we have about a 25-minute chat, which is just if you love rugby league, if you're a proper footy head like me, it's a chat you will absolutely love. I've listened to it to myself, you know, two or three times whilst I'm training. So part one today with Lee Addison, it's a cracking listen. If you want to check out his stuff on Instagram at rugby league coach, he's also got a website, www.rugbyleaguecoach.com.au. He's got a lot of training programs on there that you can sign up for. And if you're a young footballer out there looking to get a bit of an edge in your junior system, I highly advise you reach out to Lee. A big part of me starting this podcast was so that I could expose myself to guys with more football experience than myself so I could learn more, but also so I could expose myself to guys with smarter footy brains than me. And Lee, this is a guy that's definitely got a much smarter footy brain than me, and he's a guy that I just loved having a chat with. It's always good to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, and Lee is definitely one of those blokes. I thoroughly enjoyed this chat. Part one you're about to listen to. Part two drops tomorrow morning. This is a real chat for true footy heads. Let's kick it off. 
Lee Addison, welcome on, mate. How are we? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Now, mate, you've sort of blown up a little bit over Instagram over the last few days. I know you've had your website for a while, rugbyleaguecoach.com. Tell me about it. You've got it wrong already. It's .com.au. <laughs> oh, you can't win them all. It'd be good to win a few more. It's the it's the most it's the most common mistake people make. I, I could buy the domain name rugbyleaguecoach.com, but somebody bought it about twenty years ago, and they're obviously not using it. But I was I was blown away to get the domain name .com.au. Um, we've been going for a while. Um, I set it up because I was at a bit of a crossroads in my own coaching career, and I read a book called The Entrepreneurial Revolution by a guy called Daniel Priestley, and he was talking about how it was a bit out there, the book. It was basically saying how we've had the Industrial Revolution and the like. Well, when people look back on this period, they'll be talking about technology and they'll be talking about the Entrepreneurial Revolution. And um, without going into the details of the book, you know, go out and buy it, listeners, if you want to, if you want to read it. But it got my mind thinking about where Lee Addison as a coach could fit into that. And the the epiphany I had, if I like, if you like, was the Traditionally, as a coach, have to be selected to coach a team. Sometimes, as a result of sending in a CV or winning a job application or whatever it may be, and then you get twenty or twenty-five players who come under your care. Well, that means there's another nine, ten, twenty teams in that one competition who don't get to be coached by you. And not only that, that also means a load of other people don't get to coach by you. So I just decided to flip that round, Nathan. I thought. I'm a level three coach. I'm experienced. Um, don't mind being in front of a camera or that kind of thing. I just decided to flip that all around so that whoever wanted to be coached by me could be coached by me. And as a result, I've got a website that has got bigger and bigger and bigger as the years have gone on, the two and a half years. And I'm coaching people in about 30 different countries around the world and growing. Um yeah, and then the social media is just there to back it up. With 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 COVID, I actually created a YouTube page as well. So there's sort of ten percent of my resources are free. So I use that a little bit like a, uh, you know, like on TV. You know, like you you see a film on Channel Nine that was in the cinema two years ago. I do the same thing with my website. So I put exclusive stuff on the website and on the courses website that I've just built, and then a bit down the line it will go for free on YouTube, basically. So. Um, basically, what I do and how I did, and it all came, mate, because I had a bit of a, a bit of a break from the game. Looked at it, and I just looked at it from a lateral point of view. I just thought outside the square. I knew there was a gap there, and I just went for it, and it's going well. Uh, mate, one question I want to ask you. Obviously, something we have in common. We're both teachers. I mean, as far as your coaching go- has gone, how do you think teaching has helped you? Well, it's helped me a lot in the sense that for the last 11 years, I've been a full-time coach at the league school. So 2010, I became the head coach of St. Gregory's College. And even though it wasn't a timetabled subject there, you still had to coach them before school and after school. The headmaster there gave me a job just covering lessons in the day because he knew I was there to coach rugby league. And I met a young fella called James Sedesco there that's been quite well chronicled. For that, I got a phone call out of the blue to start an academy at Ipswich State High School in Queensland. And we basically started it from scratch, but it, they already had a timetable structure. 
five years there, built that up, and then now I'm doing another one at Mabel Park. So he decided to teach. As of three, I think I started to be a better coach, and I wanted to learn about how people learned. I wanted to learn about teaching methods. I wanted to learn about how to engage a group. And I literally made that decision to go into teaching to support my coaching. Um, that said, I'm the two have just merged into the same job, basically. Let me ask you, mate. Obviously, we're going to talk about it a little bit later in more detail. You're going to tell me your uh, your dream team, your best one to 13 <laughs> that you've coached, which I'm really yeah. looking forward to. And I'm assuming one Jay Tedesco will feature in that. But tell me about Teddy as a young bloke. What was your first impressions of him? Just a really unassuming kid. So the first time I really met him was on a field that they call the terraces at St. Gregory's. The, it was raining cats and dogs, uh, and we had to go right on the backfield, which the, was like a cow, cow paddock. The groundsman didn't care about it. And I said to all the players, because the school had been on lean times and not won a trophy for a long time and all that kind of thing, took their eye off the ball when it came to rugby league, said everyone's got a clean slate I don't care what position you've played I don't care how good you think you are or how bad people say you are you've got a clean slate I'm looking at you with a fresh pair of eyes I'm this skinny scrawny spotty bloke with braces in his teeth came up to me and said sir can I have a go at 5'8 I looked at the list I've been given and there was so what's your name mate he said James Tedesco I said oh yeah you're down on the wing I said of course you can and I expected nothing of it and one of my assistants at the time, a guy called Craig Bissell, who your younger brother might know, because I think he's at his school now, whispered in my ear, said, he might go all right, Ely, he's a good player. Anyway, Tedesco, James took one catch, did a bit of a shimmy, went past a couple of people, passed the ball. I turned around to Craig and said, he's my 5'8". He's a typical kid, and you hear this a lot, miss class, never missed training, wasn't the absolute hardest trainer in the world, but you never had to chip him for anything. So he was always training hard, right? He, we won a grand final that year and he was at the front of all the pictures and everything. He was, he was very popular. Dad said, right, Liam, taking him home. I said, are you sure he doesn't want to come back on the bus with all the boys? He just said, nah, he's just not one of those kids really, Lee. He just, you know, he just takes so many things in his stride. He was good academically. So popular when he goes back to St. Greg's. Everyone loves him. Um, if your daughter brought him home, you'd be happy. He's one of those boys. Um, and he's always kept in touch. Um, yeah, there's not, a, there's not a fly on him, mate. I can't, I can't even think of him ever doing anything bad at school. Like, I, I can't. I just can't. Mate, I remember watching him, and it, I think it was before his first grade debut, and he was playing for a trial. He was playing in a trial for the Tigers. I'm not sure where it was. It was at a suburban ground, but I remember yeah. it was just when Braith and Astor had joined the Tigers. I remember we, we went to watch Braith to see how it was all going to unfold, and I didn't know who James Tedesco was at that point, but I remember the Tigers ran out, and Teddy was the last one, and he walked out, and there was a bit of a huddle that he had to walk through of people, and just all these teenagers. <laughs> I bet they were your, your St. Greg's boys. and Probably, yeah. Mate, yeah, it yeah. was like watching a 14-year-old run onto the field with his mates pushing yeah. him, trying to trip him, but all yeah. giggling and yeah, laughing, yeah, mate. Yeah. He really was – he was the most popular kid there, and, I mean, that Tigers team was a pretty handy side. I mean, no one even looked yeah. at Braith and Astor, but when Teddy walked on, it was just something different straight away, and I sort of thought, who the hell is this kid? I'd never seen him before. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that just sums him up, mate. He was just so popular. He never he never cheesed anybody off. So all the teachers are fond of him. All his mates are fond of him. 
didn't get involved in any rubbish that boys can do. You know, just never political or anything like that. Um, I just, <laughs> it's a bit hard to say stuff about him really because there's never, there's no real bad stories about him or anything like that, or or superbly funny stories. He did, he did star in a cricket advert. We did once. We did. We used to have this in Gregory's. We used to have an annual cricket game, and we did it as an old Channel Nine broadcast. And I made Teddy, Matt Groat, and a couple of the others, they starred in an advert for KFC. We used to film KFC adverts. So I've got that footage. I will release it for about $500,000. Because honestly, that is, it is, it is quite, not embarrassing is the wrong word, but he, but he was even, you know, he was fair game for that. He took part. He had to do a diving catch because we did the classic catches. And yeah, he was just, just a good kid, mate. Really fond of him. Mate, from one great player to potentially another... Did you play footy as a kid yourself? I tried, yeah. Oh, fuck. Tell um, me about it. I'm with you. I just start, I started a bit late, I think. I was a handy prop, handy back rower who sort of morphed into a proper. I played some rep football, got picked up quite quickly, all that kind of thing. But I'm one of those, if I do something, Nathan, I want to do it properly. And for a few years and accidentally stumbled across coaching, and coaching ended up taking over my life over playing because I was, if you like, when I went to university and stuff, I was the captain coach kind of thing. I was the, I ended up being the sort of natural leader for, uh, for one reason or another. So one just sort of morphed into the other. And I fell in love with coaching by accident. And um, I was about age 19 and I've been coaching every week of my life since. So um, the playing career was all right. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm quite pragmatic about these things. Uh, I thought to myself after a certain age, if I'm not going to get picked up professionally or whatever it may be, then I might as well focus on something else. Um, and that's literally what I did. Uh, and then I ended up going down the coaching avenue, doing a, doing a bit of media work at Wigan Warriors and Salford Reds. And I got to the point where I think one week I went into work with a black eye because I'd played an open age game and the boss had a bit of a go at me about it. He didn't tell me off, but at all, you know, we don't need that every weekly. I just sort of made a decision in around that time to play a bit less and, and focus on coaching. So, yeah, I mean, the playing career, I enjoyed it while I was there, got great mates, but nothing to write home about. So where was your first coaching gig, mate? University. I was at, We're at this thing called Freshers' Fair. We have this thing called Freshers' Fair in England where you walk around and you choose the social club that you want to be part of that year. So if you imagine a hall... And there's the soccer club over there. There's the NFL club over there. There's the rugby union club over there. And there's rugby league club over there. And then there's the archery, whatever else. When I went over with my then girlfriend, it was my third year. I was media manager part-time at Salford Reds. So I wasn't going to play that year. I wanted to focus on my studies. And a couple of fellas were manning the stall for rugby league. And they said, Lee, are you going to come and play for us this year? I said, probably not this year, boys. I'm probably just going to focus on my studies, blah, blah, blah. They went, oh, please, 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 because I'd already played for Great Britain students and English students and all that kind of thing. They said, come on, Lee, come on, come on. I said, no, honestly, I've got... They said, why don't you coach us then? And I said, why would I want to do that? And they said, what you should always do with me is be nice to me for a bit and say nice things. They said, last, last year when you took us for a couple of sessions, Lee, you were brilliant. And what I did was I just copied some of the sessions I did with good coaches, you know. I just regurgitated them. I said, I'll do one session on Monday, then you've got to find your coach. Well, that Monday was the first day of the rest of my life. 
I was hooked on it from then. But obviously with coaching, you know, I, I, I know myself, as much as we say we don't, it's a bit like teaching. You say you don't have your favourites. Is there is there a kid that you remember from your first side that was your favourite? One of them is actually my best mate for life. Like, they're called Adam. We just hit it off as mates before that. And he happened, and he, and he tried rugby league that year. He, he did it a bit in the past, but he went really hard that year. And one of the reasons was he was my best mate at uni and wanted to help me out and it ended up we both had memorable years and uh, so yeah he'd be my favourite in that sense um, there was a kid called Paul Smith who was a teammate and then I coached him for a little bit he played Super League for a while at Huddersfield Giants but it was it was interesting University Rugby League in England uh, very much like University Rugby League over it a, a game of Rugby League occasionally breaks out amongst the drinking Um but we had a good year. We got promoted. So straight away, I thought, maybe I can coach this game, you know? I did. When I look back, I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but um, just knew then I thought maybe I have a, a way with people. And I just took a bit of time after that to study coaching a little bit and study the game and sort of launched myself a bit later into the coaching fraternity. So what year was this, mate? 1999, 2000. Yeah, right. Okay, so... 1999, 2000, you get your first gig. Now, 2008, you're, you're, you're inside the Manly camp. Tell me about what happens in between that time from you coaching a university side in a side in England to you being part of a premiership-winning Manly coaching staff. Tell me about that journey. I'll, I'll keep it relatively short because I'll go on forever. But basically, within a few years, within two years, I was the England students coach and the Great Britain students coach under a performance director called Vinnie Webb, who's my longtime mentor. Once I was in that sort of infrastructure, that opened doors up for me. So I then became the England amateurs coach, the the England Lionhearts, they call them. And then from that, I got a job as Doncaster reserve grade coach and then National League 3 with Dewsbury. So I sort of climbed that way through that. Alongside that, I don't know if you remember this, Nathan, but England went through a phase where they weren't too bad at rugby league. Um, between sort of 99 and 2006-ish, they received a lot of Sport England funding because we wanted to have a big push for the Olympics and so on and so forth. And it ended up beating the Australian schoolboys in a few games in that time, if you remember. Wow. Oh, I don't. That's impressive, though. Right, and that was all because of a guy called David Waite, who used to be the St. George Newcastle coach. He then became the Great Britain coach and performance director. Well, from 2004 and 2006, I was on the high-performance coaching pathway over there as well. So I would do regional camp head coach, so on and so forth. So I climbed that pole. And I ended up coming to Australia because I thought, any coach out there, they're always frustrated and they always want to be somewhere higher, you know? So <laughs> every NRL coach, apart from Craig Bellamy, wants to be in a higher position on the ladder. Um, some NRL coaches will want to be the New South Wales coach, Queensland coach and Australia coach. That's part of being a competitive. You always want something better. I got a bit frustrated. I had some, had some family dramas, mate. A lot of my family died of... Um, motor neuron disease. I don't want to go on about that. I don't want to labour on it, but it's good to mention it because it's quite topical because um, of Rob Burrow in England. And um, 
yeah, all, a lot of my family died in a short time, and I just I just took a punt, mate. I, I booked a one way ticket and packed two bags and came over here and, and chanced my arm, and I ended up getting some interest from a club called Christian Brothers in the Northern Beaches of Sydney, and Dave Warwick and Crusher Cleal at Manly. I wrote to them from England, and they probably thought, "Who's this Pommy Git? You know, we won't ever see him." Well, anyway, I did arrive, and uh, not too fine a point on it. A, a good reputation went around about me. Around, sorry, good words went around about me quite quickly. I built up quite a reputation as a coach, and next thing I knew, Manly invited me to be the Harold Matthews coach. <laughs> like it was honestly, it just happened. It was no, there was no applications. There was no. I just wanted to be part of the club, and they invited me in, and then that's how it happened. And in 08, I was the Harold Matthews coach. 2007, I assisted the SG Ball. So people like Kieran Forum were in that side then. Um, Darcy Lussick and players like that. And then 2008, I had my own side um, at Manly. Darren Matthews' side. Tell me about Foz as a young bloke, mate. Obviously, you know, when he burst onto the scene, simply incredible in the early 2010s. I mean, injury and a bit of off-season trouble has sort of... Um, derailed his career a little bit but for me you know one of the most exceptional talents we've ever seen here in foreign oh for sure i mean with the thing we were talking about me putting my dream team up on social media one of the rules i've kept to is i have to be the head coach of that player if i if i included assistance and kieran foreign would be in that mix as well because you're right he was such a talent as a young kid he was just really polite and nice and you could have a yak to him um always said hello i mean that's You'd be amazed how many people... You won't be amazed. You'll know this being a teacher yourself. You'll walk past teachers at school who don't say hello to you sometimes. Like, somebody who says hello, how are you doing, Lee, blah, blah, blah. You know, that means a lot. And he, he was one of those people as a young kid. And you just... He was somebody electric when you watched him. You just knew you were watching someone special. Um, I didn't really get to know him as a person much, mate, but I've got nothing but fond memories of him. So, um, there was a few there. There was a young Luke Keary there at Manly too, and... Uh, you wouldn't have predicted Luke Carey's rise from what he saw at Manly at the time, but his desire was so strong, you know? Mate, obviously, you know, you're in the Manly system, and look, like, the reality is, even to get a Harold Matz gig, I mean, that's not an easy gig to get in the NRL, in rugby league. Like, there's a lot of people mm. that are waiting around for those opportunities to arise. Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. to go from the under-16s to the SG ball, that's a good knock. To go from the Harold Matthews to working in the first-grade squad with Des Hasler... You must have been mm. pinching yourself. I um, the, the the thing with Manly compared to other areas, and you'll know this with having a brother at the Roosters. The juniors at the Roosters aren't renowned as being the it's not renowned as being the strongest area. If I was in Penrith, if I'd have landed at Penrith, I'd still be waiting now for a whole Matthews gig, I think. But because I was in Manly, there's less coaches there, so I happened to end up in an area that wasn't quite as competitive. Don't get me wrong, there was plenty of knives in my back when I did get the gig. Um, you know, people who've been born and raised on the northern beaches not getting a gig, and this Pommy who's just come off the boat six months earlier getting a gig. But um, I'll be forever indebted to Manly because particularly Crusher Cleal and Walk, Dave Warwick, they were great with me. And Des brought me in too. Like, Des, I remember spending a week with Des during my school holidays, and he um, sat me in his office, told, told me everything, just completely opened the doors to me, mate. Um, and brought me in, um, and I'll never forget it. Um, you know, going back to what you said about being blown away and all that kind of thing. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I've always worked hard, Nathan. So I've, I've always believed in work ethic and trying to outwork any opponents. And, you know, if I build a website, I want it to be the best in the world. If, you know, and... I had a lot of self-confidence from that. When you work so hard, it's the same as you with your podcast. If you work so hard and you, you get quality in around you and learn how to manage things, you get confidence from that. And during my time at Manly, I learned so much about myself. I, 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 I didn't necessarily feel any pressure at Manly. I just thought it's another coaching job, really. I had a lot of belief in myself. The first three rounds of me coaching at Manly, we're actually none from three, pro from three. And my dad had come over to see me, and me, me and my old man was completely different characters. Like, I'm laid back. He's the biggest stress head in the world, and he was getting so stressed because he'd come over and seen his son. Proud moment coaching at Manly, and brought from three, and we played one game. It was against South Sydney. And we just kept dropping the ball. Our completion rate was about 32%. But I knew I knew that this team was going to click eventually. Obviously, the people believe in you as a different kettle of fish. And I knew I was in trouble because Crusher Cleal came and sat in the coaching box with me in round four, played Canberra. Right? Yeah. I knew I knew then I was in trouble. And I always remember came in and he sat down him around the traps and we'd said hello and everything but we never really had a good chat and me and Crusher just hit it off straight away as two people right that eased the pressure a little bit on me personally we won that game 62-16 something like that actually went on a winning run over the next year and a half that in one of the records for Harold it would have, it would have been the record for Harold Matthews at that time so it's probably be the third best or second best run they've been on. But for the next year and a half, we didn't stop winning, basically, um, until semi-finals. <laughs> but um, you know, we, we were too late for the semis in 08, but we won on the Sunday. We played Illawarra on the Thursday and won. And we, we basically, we went to Parramatta and lost, but then we came back and won. We went to Penrith and lost, which used to happen then. And we won everything at home. And it just went on from there. So... The year after, we had a really good season, finished third. But yeah, it's a double-edged sword because I wanted to succeed so much. I wanted to mess up. I didn't want to be that kid that had flown 12,000 miles to fail his coaching job in the first year. Anyway, Crusher gave me a rave review after that first game. He came and sat in the coaching box with me, praised me about my half-time talk. And, and I got on with him so well. I said, oh, Crusher, can you come and stick with me every week in the coaching box? And he did. And uh, every time, you know, he, he used to text me and apologise if he couldn't make it, you know, like just one of those things. It was a real turning point. Um, looking back, it just teaches you so much about yourself and as a coach. Like, I've been going through some old files because I'm trying to find some old footage and I found some of my old work there and I've evolved so much since then as a coach. But, yeah, it was um, 
and you're rubbing shoulders with with people at the top echelon too. So being sat with somebody like Des Hasler quite a lot, off on you. I can tell you now that there's there's so much of Des Hasler in me. I'm not I'm a Des Hasler clone. I actually think David Waite had more of an influence on me, but so much of Des Hasler in me too. Um, one one thing I got from Des Hasler was that a training session under Des Hasler is always an event. So I remember being at Manly that year at NRL training sessions, went to a couple of others, named them, because I don't want to bring that coach into light. But I remember thinking something special was going on at Manly in 08 because just from watching training sessions, because there was so much more energetic event. And I learned from then that all my training sessions had to be an event. Just one example. Des was big on KPIs, key performance indicators. And even if you'd won 42 nil, he'd be pulling you up about your KPIs after a game and all that kind of thing. That's just a couple of the things. Um, Des was also dead set honest with everyone too, so people loved him. Um, but there was other people there too. Jeff, Jeff Toovey was an excellent assistant coach at the time. He was an excellent foil. Dennis Moore, who's a very good friend of mine who lives not far from me, I'll, I'll see him very soon. He was assistant coach during the premiership year there. Um, he was another good foil for Des, if you like a good cop and a bad cop type type arrangement. Dross, the trainer, I've got fond memories of. And yeah, they just, yeah, it was just, it felt like a good club at the time. Felt like it was in, in, in good hands. Mate, you mentioned uh, the 2008 season, obviously, the year they won the Premiership, the centenary of Rugby League in Australia, a massive year mm. and a huge victory for Manly. At what point during that season, did, like, was there a moment that it sort of dawned on you, like, Jesus, like, th- these blokes are the real deal here? I think what Manly did in that time, Melbourne have done for 20 years and what Roosters have done for a few years either side of a wooden spoon. They had a culture where they got a lot of players in who might not necessarily take the big pay want to come for the, in inverted commas, right reasons. And that's why there was a little bit of a blow-up a few years later. I forget which players it was involved were involved, but some player took big money somewhere else or something like that, and it really unsettled the fabric of the team a little bit. Remember that? Yeah, it, uh, yeah. And we, right? we, we, we won't name names, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was well... It was well documented that it upset the fabric of the team. A lot of players there that all played for the right reason. You'll remember there was players in that premiership side who haven't done much before or since. So the prop, the prop, Brian. Brian, do you remember him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason King, the other prop. Like, no offence to them at all, but they're not household names a decade of success, are they? No, not at all. No, great, honest, excellent props and footballers. Brent Kite was also in and around the time the team at that time as well. A footballer that used to divide opinion a little bit from memory. Like uh, some loved him and some weren't as keen. You know, Um, just good, honest footballers, mate, who didn't have massive amounts of ego. Nobody was a star. The Eagles was a star. Manly Eagles was a star. What they also had was a uh, an evergreen Steve Menzies in the side. And I think what Steve Menzies did was just put that polish on the end of everything. He was the one that, if they conceded a try, just calmed everything down. A bit like Cameron Smith does now, and Cooper Cronk did under the, under me and, and Robinson. It'd be like having a coach on the field a little bit. I think Menzies was that figure too. 
Um, so it just all came together. And I remember saying to Des at the day or two after the grand final win, I said, what are you putting it down to, Des? And his words were, it is a culmination. And I think you just need so many things to come right to win a premiership. And I think the most impressive thing about the Des Hasler era at Manly during that time, which I literally put down as one of the best eras in rugby league over the last few years, up there with, you know, different periods. Yes, they didn't win the premiership the year after. They only just scraped into the eight. But by 2011, they were winning the premiership again. And don't forget, Manly were also in the 2007 grand final when they got flogged by Melbourne. So if you look at that sort of five-year period, Manly were there or thereabouts all the time. And that takes a lot in a salary cap sport. Um, ship windows are thought to be about three, and five, three to five years. And I think if you actually study it and look at some of the patterns, they tend to be nearer three than five. And Des really stretched that Manly team out. Like, And I'm sure, I can't remember... But I'm sure if you look at the history before that too, that we're getting quite close to it as well. So, Mate, one guy I want to ask you about, and I'm not sure how much you'll have to say about him, but I know that I had um, I had Michael Witt on my podcast earlier this year, and he was at Manly, I think 05, 06, around that mark, and he sort of talks about the arrival of Ben Kennedy and how important that was and how it sort of... He laid a foundation and a culture there that would pay dividends over the next few years. Did you have much to do with BK? Zero. But when I asked when I asked Dennis Moore, I said, what do you put the premiership win down to? He said, ben, ben Kennedy. Why? I said, he left two years ago or a year ago. Apparently what Ben Kennedy did, turned up at training and somebody dropped the ball and they were doing a run-through. And Ben Kennedy just lost his shit with him. Mad at them. Never accepted it. He said, you don't ever accept doing that. Go back and start again. And apparently, BK did so much to change the culture there at Manly. And I think that's one of the fallacy of, of coaching, that part of our job is to unlock the genius that we have in our players, is to... The, our players are the geniuses, and we've got to allow that to flourish. And I have no doubt Des was going on the road to a premiership somewhere along the line. But I think BK arriving changed it for him a little bit. Apparently, he used to make people go down and do push-ups when they dropped a ball, do 10 push-ups. And I still do that in my coaching now. And I remember telling Matt Elliott about that, and he brought that in at Penrith as well. Um, oh, because of BK, mate. Yeah. So, yeah, it's spot on. Spot on. Mate, another forward I want to ask you about in that side, and for me personally, he's one of my favourite players of all time, Glenn Stewart, your lock forward. Um yeah. I think he's one of those guys that he could – you could slide him into any era of rugby league and I think he'd be successful. Like, tough as nails, a skill set that halves would be extremely jealous of, an incredible yeah, footballer. Yeah. And doesn't look like an athlete, does he? No. To be fair to him, he looks like a darts player or something. But he um, was always fit. You remember he went over to the Catalans and did quite a good job over there too. Um, very integral, very integral, him and his brother. Um, only got a gig at Manly because his brother said, I'm only signing if you bring my brother with you. Look at him. So, again, another lesson to um, hiring youngsters, I suppose, like just never, ever give up. I mean, it does help if you've got a talented brother who says that, but, um, you know, people weren't looking at Glenn Stewart. His brother, Brett, and it was only through Brett's obstinance to say, look, if you want me, my brother needs a crack too. Um and I know, I believe Ronaldo Mulatalo did something similar at Cronulla with his brother. He actually took less money to get his brother a start at Cronulla too. 
Incredible. So, I mean, Brett Stewart, don't get me wrong, an unbelievable footballer, but for me, Glenn Stewart, he was just, he, he, he was a revolutionary lock. I mean, if you were to put him into the modern game, I'm like, I, I think Glenn Stewart is more suited to the modern game than when he played, to be honest with you. Quite possibly. He just fit into any into any era. The only problem Glenn would have is his tendency to get a little bit heavy. So, a limited interchange game, now, where is it eight interchanges or ten? I get mixed up. He would, if he's not tip top, fitness wise, might struggle a little bit because I did, I did feel he was a little bit out of shape at the Catalans. You know, there's some of us who only have to look at a pie and we put five kilos on. And You're talking a twenty one. pies, and yeah, me too. And um, you know, I think Glenn Glenn was in that that, but it was. Yeah, I totally agree with you. He was a great footballer. Um. <laughs> the big image that you always think of as Glenn, with Glenn Stewart, though, is that Battle of Brookvale when they had the big fight with Melbourne because he was swinging and weren't he? Yeah, mate, he, he took some serious swings. I always, I always hear about that fight, and then I look back at it and think, geez, Adam Blair had a mouth guard s- sitting on his ear, and it, it didn't even fall off. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I need to stop talking about his weight issues because he <laughs> might come and swing them at me, mate. Another guy in that team I want to ask you about, and. Another one of my favourites of all time, uh, quite a polarising character, is Jamie Lyon. He was your 5'8 that year. Tell me about <laughs> Jamie Lyon. Russia found him at the back of beyond somewhere and brought him to Parramatta. Somebody who, I don't know if you remember, while he was at Manly, was also the time when he decided he didn't want to play for New South Wales. Oh, I, I won't forget Do it. Don't that? worry about that. Queensland loved and it. Uh, you know, when I'm trying to describe someone, Jamie Lyon again is one of those who always had a time of day for you. But there's not every there's not every first grader wants to talk to the Harold Matthews coach at a club, right? Jimmy Lyon isn't one of those people. Steve Menzies isn't one of those people. So on and so forth. The thing, the thing, the, the big memories I have about both Manly and Penrith are, are, are how humble the vast majority of the players were, and Jamie Lyon fell into that category absolutely. Don't think he analysed football that much. Just enjoyed playing it. And there's a lot of similarities between Jamie Lyon and the Steve Matai situation that's been in the newspapers recently. Jamie, Jamie Lyon didn't massively like the limelight. Matai, wise, he now he's retired from playing. He's just gone back to live in Ballina with his family and he's living a different life. And the papers decided to have a go at him for not coming back to reunions. Well, what people don't understand at home sometimes is that football can become a job. And it starts out as a game you just love playing. It can become a job, and there can be a time when you don't want to be part of it, even if you're the biggest footy head in the world. I think somebody like Jamie Lyon just enjoyed the game for what it was and enjoyed the company, and that was it. Um for example, you didn't see Jamie Lyon doing that many TV interviews. You didn't see him on the footy show or in the studios before a game or on NRL 360 or anything. It just wasn't. Um, and Steve Matai's done something similar. And some people are just geared like that. And again, I think that is a reason why Manly was so successful. It wasn't about I or me. It was about we. It was about a team. And if you think back to that Manly team, absolutely smacked Melbourne in that grand final. 40 nil, and Cameron Smith wasn't playing but you can't tell me Cameron Smith could have reversed 40, a 40 nil defeat yeah, he's not worth 40 and, points and they 
obliterated one of the best teams of the last two decades with some superstars in. And in many ways, if you're a Manly fan, it was brilliant, but it was a real letdown as a grand final because it was just so one-sided. And that's how good that Manly team was. I think we're genuinely talking about one of the better Premiership winning teams of the last couple of decades. Unfortunately, it didn't stay together for too long. That was the problem. Mate, uh, during the year, I had a member of this squad on my podcast. I've taught his kids over the last few years, Michael Barney. And, of course, Michael mm. Michael got injured during this season and it allowed the opportunity for David Williams to come in and make his debut and then Barney... The Wolfman. Yeah, yeah. the Wolfman. And uh, Barney simply couldn't... Uh, essentially couldn't get that jersey back off him. But yeah, what he did yeah. say is the week of this grand final, he just said that he couldn't believe how confident this Manly team was. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of that comes down to Desi's work ethic and preparation. So, uh, confidence comes from preparation. Confidence comes from practice. Confidence comes from what's going to be around the corner. And if you remember that year, Manly hit their straps for quite a long time. And when you hit your straps for quite a long time, winning becomes a habit. And so do so many of the processes that go with it. If I remember rightly, there was one loss to Parramatta or something a few rounds to go, or South Sydney when South Sydney used to be bad. There was one loss at ANZ Stadium on the on the running. Just an aberration. Look at the patterns of teams that have won NRL Grand Finals. There tends to be a, a game that's an aberration a few rounds out. Um, I just think they planned it to perfection, and they, they planned their run to perfection. Um, a few conversations I've had in and around that group has uh, confirmed that since then. Um, it was just a good time, just like Des said, a culmination. So many things came together. So my memories are Desi's preparation, humility of the boys, the family feel about the boys. You you didn't feel... You could bring your kids to training if you had kids you, and, and they'd be happy, you know? Chop what now was off his chops a bit, but it was lovely. You know, he's a lovely guy. It was a great feel to it and the energy at training, the energy at training all the time. So, yeah, it was a good time, mate. Very fun memories. Mate, uh, one of my favourite things that I look forward to whenever I know I'm interviewing someone that's come in contact with Des Hasler, I mean, there is always a puzzling story or something that's just confusing beyond belief about what Desi does. I mean, what's one, one, one of the weirdest things you've seen Desi do? I remember when I did spend time with him, what about Des is he has an aura about him as Des walks in the room, you sort of go, oh, here's Des, you know. Somebody, and I don't know to this day whoever it was, I don't know if it was Bob Fulton, I don't know if it was the, the mind coach he deals with. I remember walking to his office, and he was on the phone to someone, and Des, who was the dominating character and the, the one barking out the orders, for about 45 minutes he was being the one told, going, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah, I've never to this day found out who that was on the other end of the phone. Again, the story is, I suppose, indicative that he was looking for any edge he could to win those premierships. So whether it was a mind coach, whether it was Bozo Fulton, who has such a big impact on the Manly Club, who was his old mentor for many years. Whoever he was talking to, he was doing all the listening. Wasn't the boss in that conversation. I don't know if it was his wife. I don't know if it was his wife. 
But um, I always remember that. And again, it was something I took away. And these stories I'm telling you, I can still see them in my mind's eye, Nathan. Like, so a coach who TV all the time, getting radio interviews, the newspaper back page a lot. Because if you remember that year, there was the cow's blood thing as well. Mm. Um, Tendency to think you know it all. Well, that just made me think, well, whoever Desi's talking to, Obviously, stood down off a pedestal, said, listen to you, tell me what I need to do. And I'd love to know who was on the other end. Unless it was a shopping list by his wife or whatever, I don't know. But literally, all I heard Des say for 45 minutes from outside the room, his door wasn't shut or anything, so I wasn't going into a top secret thing, but he was just going, yep, okay, yep. So, yeah, so that's my little Des story. Mate, uh, obviously 2008, they win the premiership. You stay there for the 09 season. Then you make your move over to the Penrith Panthers. How did that come about? I got a tap on the shoulder. So um, when I was at Manly, it was the start of the influence of the Westy kids coming across a little bit. So kids that Penrith and Parramatta didn't want, some of them ended up coming to Manly. So there were predominantly Manly juniors back then with just a trickling of Western Sydney kids. With that came a couple of trainers and things like that. There's a guy called Artigan, who's now the football manager at West Tigers, used to be the football manager at Roosters. He was my trainer at Manly, going to Penrith. And long story short, in 2009, we had a really good season. Manly were hovering near the top of the Harold Matthews table. We're a bit unhappy with their coaches for whatever reason wanted to rejig things and my name came up in conversation and Matt, uh, Adam Hartigan from what I can gather was the, the person who the massive recommendation that I come on board so I remember being under the grandstand at uh, Campbelltown Stadium a semi-final Harold Matthews semi-final a tap on the shoulder basically from somebody at Penrith and said can you come in for a chat and you know and I know a junior rugby league coach and you want to work with some of the best kids in the world and race para that kind of thing it's like going to old mine when it comes to talent i think for so those for, me, that, bit- for, for those that aren't involved in junior football i mean it, it literally is just the kids are an extra two sizes bigger aren't they and there is just the pool of talent to pick from out there it just blows every other district away in new south wales anyway yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's no coincidence that Manly, since a couple of years ago, I think they won a Harold Matthews or an SG ball comp, and there was basically an awful lot of Westies in their team. Um, So they had a different recruitment strategy and brought kids in at a young age so they could play Harold Matthews SG ball. That is the strength. In England, it's Wigan, St. Helens, Leeds, Bradford. It's the junior strength. Hull. Australia, it's in Sydney, Illawarra, Gold Coast, Logan, those kind of areas. And I could not turn that down, Nathan. Like, I knew it was going to be tougher for me. I knew it was going to be a, a harsher environment for me to coach in. Um, they don't take losses there very well. Loss there is like a, uh, you have to have a full uh, investigation by the local police as to why you lost the game. And I just wanted to test myself there, mate. Um, and I ended up going for an interview with Matty Elliott and other people. 
Stay tuned tomorrow morning. We'll have part two of our interview with Lee Addison going into his time spent at the Penrith Panthers. And of course, we have about a 25-minute period where I talked about at the start of this podcast where we just have a real in-depth footy chat. We talk Cooper Cronk, Jonathan Thurston, Andrew Johns. We talk about who was the best and who that we'd want in our team the most as our halfback. A real cracking chat for properly proper footy nerds like myself. See you tomorrow morning, guys. Have a cracker. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.